This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Warriors of Michigan politics and government, I cannot believe how much is going on right now. And very little of it has anything to do with Michigan politics and government. For example, item number one, there is Boatgate, where the governor's husband, a Lansing dentist, evidently tried to get a boat dock installer up north on Birch Lake at the governor's cottage between Elk Rapids and Traverse City to let him cut in line because he is Governor Gretchen Whitmer's husband. He wanted his family boat put in the water before anybody else's. The dockman refused and then posted the incident on Facebook to reveal the governor's hypocrisy. The governor has finally confessed that her brain-dead husband did this. I won't comment on this because you've already read and heard and seen too much about it already. Item number two, there is the continuing absolute mess over what candidates and what ballot questions are going to be put before voters this year. This is absolutely horrendous. And I won't say anything about this either because it is the story that seemingly has no ending. We may be talking about this next year after the election is over and we're wondering, did we actually vote on something? Who? What? When? Where? Why? Item number three. There is Governor Whitmer's announcement that she is charging her environmental department or EGLE E-G-L-E is the acronym, as she calls it, to launch an investigation about why and how the company that owns the Edenville and Sanford Dams, which is called Boyce Hydro, allowed the breach of these structures last week to happen, resulting in a catastrophic flood that engulfed downtown Midland. But no! Republicans and others are demanding that any such investigation be conducted by an independent, nonpartisan third party. They don't trust Whitmer's bureaucrats to undertake such an important mission, the fox guarding the chicken coop and all that. I won't say any more about that either, but more later in the program. Item number four, what about something called the coronavirus? Where are we on that? Well, the latest count is over 56,000 documented cases in Michigan and some 5,400 deaths. The numbers have slowed to a crawl, but they're still there. Statistics have just come out showing nearly a quarter of those are in nursing homes. Yet the Whitmer administration has not released facts, science, and data to explain this and why she continues to issue a record number of executive orders more than all other Midwestern states combined to support her decision to load COVID-19 patients into nursing homes. I won't say anything about that either. Item number five, there's one thing more. 
Whitmer and her attorney general, Dana Nessel, finally won something in court against the world's most famous tonsorial artiste, Carl Mankey. In a close call, Whitmer and Nessel got a two-to-one decision from a court of appeals panel of judges to make Mankey shut down. But you guessed it. The demon barber of Main Street in Owasso is not shutting down. He appealed to the Supreme Court and got a stay against efforts to stop him, and he's continuing to cut hair. The question here, folks, is whether Whitmer and Nessel really want to see Mankey led away in handcuffs. Do they really want that optic? They're already in a lot of trouble with a rising tide of voters, and it could get a lot worse. And by the way, one of the judges on the appellate panel, the one who disagreed at least in part with the majority decision against Mankey, says he's running for the Republican nomination for the Supreme Court this year. His name is Brock Schwartzel. Let's see how that turns out. Notice I haven't even brought up the state's shattered finances, but we'll talk about that later. So what do we want to talk about? Well, how about some actual legislation that passed the Michigan House of Representatives this week, and it reflected something rare. Both Democratic and Republican caucuses were split on the issue, something that rarely happens. Why? Well, because it involved a sort of litmus test issue, payday loans. What? How could that be? Well, remember, this is the result of the coronavirus and the legislature's response to it in trying to help the citizenry. Here's what it is. Payday lending shops could offer loans up to $2,500 for 90 days, as opposed to the current $600 for 31 days under legislation that passed by a fairly close vote of 58 to 49, swiftly out of House committee this week and the House floor on the same afternoon. House Bill 5097 allows what are called small loan lenders to charge an 11% fee on 90-day loans, which opponents argued amounts to an annual interest rate of 132%. That's usury, folks. That's what we've called it since the Middle Ages. One of the Democrats who voted for the bill, Representative John Churkin, a Democrat of Roseville, argued the bill's increased lending options for higher-risk, low-income consumers who do not have the option to borrow a little money from a bank or credit union. Payday lending also gives people a chance to improve their credit score. Churkin said this, and I quote, We are in a pandemic and people need money, and our unemployment is behind for whatever reasons it may be. People need money today. With many of our constituents having a difficult time making ends meet and waiting on their unemployment, we need to increase the options available to them, unquote. But another Democrat argued that payday lending already traps some borrows, borrowers excuse me, in a cycle of debt. Representative William Sowerby, 
a Democrat of Clinton Township, spoke on the House floor in opposition to the legislation. He argued that payday lending removes more than $103 million annually from Michigan, and this bill will allow them to, quote, suck millions more, unquote, out of the economy. Sowerby continued, and I quote, some say this is a short-term financial fix for people in emergencies, yet 70% of people take out another payday loan the same day they pay off their previous one. That alone is proof that people get stuck in a debt cycle, unquote. The legislation before us today, said Sowerby, will not truly help any of our constituents. But a Republican, and this would be State Representative Brant Iden, a Republican of Ashtamo Township near Kalamazoo, he's the bill's sponsor, and he had made several changes to the bill just earlier in the day with the approval of the House Ways and Means Committee. Language was added to the bill to require lenders to get more detailed information from consumers regarding ability to repay. Iden's substitute also will require lenders to pay for a financial literacy fund to be operated by the Department of Insurance and Financial Services. You know, we could go on, but uh, our state's mangled finances are a big issue. We're going to talk about that later in the program. We're going to have several other guests as well. This is going to be interesting. Stay tuned. I'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with a very important guest. He is Bill Schutte, who has probably more varied experience in Michigan politics and government than anybody I can think of. A former three-term congressman, a former agriculture department director, a former state senator, a former court of appeals judge, a two-term attorney general, and the Republican nominee for governor in 2018. Bill Schutte, thanks for being our guest. Hey, it's great to be with you, Bill, and on your show. And uh, to the listening audience, uh, I've known Bill Ballinger for some 35 years, and and, uh, (laughs) so it's fun to be on your show. Hey, listen, it's uh, a pleasure. And let me just mention, you were, I believe, born and certainly brought up in Midland, and you live there now. And if anybody has a perspective on what you've gone through with the flood of the Titabawasi River after the dams were breached up there. Uh, How do you look at the whole situation at this point? Well, Bill, yeah, uh, I was born and raised in Midland, as my wife Cynthia uh, was as well. We grew up on the same block. Now, mind you, she she ignored me for some 25 or 30 years, so (laughs) I'm an acquired acquired taste. But uh, that aside, and, and our children uh, went to the same uh, grade school, junior high and high school, that Cynthia and I did. So these are our roots. And I've been through a flood in 86 when I served in Congress uh, and also 2017 and now 2020. And, um, you know, it breaks your heart when you when you see what, what happens with a flood. And, and uh, in Midland, uh, there, were, there were a series of four dams, if you picture in your mind, 
on the Tittabawassee River that have been dammed up, and some other dams from tributaries like the Tobacco River that goes into the Tittabawassee. And when those dams were breached, that meant uh, these lakes that were formed because of the dam, Bill, then when the dams uh, breached or uh, had instability, then that water would go to the next dam. The lake became a river, and it just this torrential surge occurred. And, and as a result, we had some really, really uh, serious flooding. Uh, but let me tell you this. Midland is a town of grit. We're the definition of that. And frankly, that's a Michigan uh, trade as well. And we're going to dry out. We're going to clean up. And we're going to rebuild. And that's the attitude that you have to have. And frankly, that's what we'll do in Midland. What about Boyce Hydro? They are supposedly uh, responsible for these dams at Edenville and Sanford. Um, Should they be held totally to blame for this? Uh, Is there any other culpability? And where does the state move forward uh, in trying to fix responsibility? Yeah, I think the key thing is first let's uh, let's clean up the homes and neighborhoods. And that's frankly what the spirit of volunteerism is doing in Midland. It's it's pretty uh, pretty remarkable, and in the surrounding areas. Now, a town like a little town of uh, uh, village of Sanford, and Cynthia and I lived near Sanford when we were first married, just got wiped out. And these were businesses that were that were uh, getting hammered because of the late opening. You know, Michigan's not an open state. Michigan is a restrictive and a control state, which has just been hammering small businesses. And then they got washed out. They've been operating on fumes, and so these small businesses then got washed out. So here's what I think will occur. I, I think that the House and Senate will probably have some sort of, uh, in Michigan, will have some sort of an uh, investigation or probe, and I think that's important. And we need to find the truth. We need to get to the bottom of it. Um, let's make sure, however, that this is not used as a political prop, because we're going to rebuild those dams because the uh, it's so important to the uh, economy of this, this area, people's homes, whether it's a little cabin where you go fishing or whether it's a bigger home, um, the jobs associated with marinas and bars and restaurants, the tax base, uh, it's very important. So we're going to rebuild the dams, uh, and we've got to get to the truth of what happened. These dams were once upon a time built for hydropower, Bill. They're, that's not the purpose they serve now. It's more of a recreation, so it's a different type of structure. Um, it's complicated, and we all want the truth to come out and um, uh, and then and have accountability, to be sure. Going forward, what if there's another torrential rain in Michigan unexpectedly in the next few weeks? Could this happen all over again, or do people have things fixed on these dams so that this cannot be repeated in the near future? Yeah, that's there, there's a whole group of folks working on that right now. And the, the, uh, the thing that would, within two weeks, there was a, a group, uh, kind of a quasi-governmental uh, organization from Gladwin and Midland counties that were getting ready to purchase uh, Boyce Hydro and then and put into place, uh, I think, a, a great approach for the future. And obviously, the the, the rains and the the dam breaches occurred. Uh, we are hopeful that that could not happen again. And in, in, in terms of uh, uh, what happens if there more rain comes down. But uh, obviously, the, uh, our local officials are top-notch. We have a great team. Uh, and in Midland, uh, with Dow, uh, Dow Company, we've got more PhDs per square foot uh, than most places in America. So I think we'll be able to figure this out. Do you expect help from the federal government? And by the way, the federal government, of which you were once a part when you were a member of Congress, they've been doing some strange stuff down there. Uh, 
with the coronavirus, uh, remote voting. Um, you're getting votes, uh, you know, by 10 members, uh, maybe giving their votes to somebody. Is this legal? Is this constitutional? And uh, where are we going? I'm asking you two different questions, but maybe you've got an answer to both. Let me try to, yeah, let me answer them both. First, in terms of FEMA, uh, the the regional FEMA uh, leadership from Chicago came over the weekend, and Congressman John Molinar, who does such a great job, uh, is kind of riding point uh, and working, obviously, with senators of uh, Stabenow and Peters. So, you know, politics really stops at the water's edge. We've got to get the federal government help, and I'm, I'm certain that John uh, will be able to do that. Plus, Annette Glenn and uh, Senator Jim Stamos, we have, a, we have a great team helping. So FEMA and the government and uh, all the various uh, arms of, of the federal government uh, will be working them. And in terms of what's going on in Congress, everybody in Michigan ought to be outraged that um, that the Democrat-led Pelosi Congress is permitting um, uh, a member of Congress to give her or his vote to someone else uh, and to let that person uh, vote for uh, matters on the floor of the United States House of Representatives. It's called proxy voting, but it's really really forfeiting uh, your Democratic vote, uh, voice. And so uh, all the Democrats voted for this, uh, you know, giving up your personal voting privilege. And as a member of Congress, there are two ways to vote. You go in and you put your card in kind of like a um, credit card machine situated on the floor of the House of Representatives, or you go down to the base of the House, which they call the well, and you got a red card for no and a green card for yes, and you sign your name. But now you can give it to uh, uh, another member of Congress. So, so some a Democrat member from uh, Michigan might give their proxy to someone in California and I think everyone would be pretty surprised if their member of Congress is not showing up to uh, to work. And that's the number one job as a member of Congress uh, is to represent and be there on the floor. And uh, nobody has perfect voting records. I didn't when I had a member of Con- when I was a member of Congress or the senator, but I showed up to work crying out loud. And it's not constitutional. There's a lawsuit. I know Molinar joined with the Speaker uh, or the Republican leader Kevin McCarthy. And this will uh, go to the Supreme Court. It's uh, it's it's unlawful. Okay, listen, uh, we could keep going on this. There's so many things to talk about, but I really appreciate your perspective, Bill Schutte, on what's going on up in the Midland area after the catastrophic floods up there. Thank you so much, former Attorney General Bill Schutte. Great to be with you. Thank you, Bill. We'll be back in a minute. Stay tuned. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have on the other line a guest who is in the middle of the coronavirus storm in more ways than one. He is Bill Hallam. He is president and CEO of the Michigan Retailers Association. Bill Hallam, thanks for being our guest. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bill. Appreciate it. Now, I'd like you to just describe to our listeners, I mean, what is the Michigan Retailers Association beyond the obvious? I mean, we know you represent retailers, but how many, what percentage of all retailers in Michigan, how many retailers uh, or retail businesses are there in Michigan? 
So, um, so we represent about 5,000 uh, corporate members, and they represent about 15,000 stores and websites throughout the state of Michigan. And everyone from your large multi-state retailer like Target, Meyer, all the way down to your uh, smaller brick-and-mortar retailer, you know, the bookstore on Main Street. So it really runs the gamut on um, the diversity of our membership. Um, and quite frankly, they all have a common interest, and <laughs> their interest right now is to be operating and to be able to, um, you know, get customers back in their doors. Well, in that respect, you've had about the worst three months in your organization's history, I would say. And uh, what is the situation now um, in terms of a lot of these retailers being able to survive this period of lockdown? And what are the prospects for opening up? Give us the kind of story here, the narrative. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly... It's certainly been difficult with the pandemic. Uh, the retail industry was really clicking along through the first two weeks in March, you know, off to a really good start in 2020. But as you can imagine, when they're forced to shut down um, through no action of their own, I mean, basically government mandated shutdown, unless you were one of the essential businesses like a grocery store, um, it's, it's really hard for them to keep their, their lights on. Retail operates on a razor-thin margin, and, um, you know, they need that uh, regular income coming in to be able to sustain their operations. And, and here we are now, and it's May 29th, and they've missed out on Mother's Day. They've missed out on Easter, many of which missed out on Memorial Day. Um, the retailers up north in the region 6 and 8 were able to open but, um, you know, many of our members were not able to get their doors open until um, the Tuesday following Memorial Day and and even with very strict restrictions now. So it's been a challenging period of time for our members, for sure. When do you think everybody's going to be open? Well, right now, um, if you operate a retail store in Michigan, you can, you can operate no matter where you're located, but there's very specific guidelines. Um, it's retail by appointment in downstate Michigan, and you can't exceed more than 10 customers in your store at any given time. Now, retail by appointment, that's not really defined in the governor's executive order. So it can be pretty much whatever you want as long as you don't exceed that 10 customer threshold. You can, um, in a, as far as our interpretation goes, take in walk-in appointments like you would a walk-in haircut as long as you're not exceeding that 10-person threshold. How can the state enforce this? I mean, they can't have snitches and cops uh, patrolling Main Street in any community and ducking their heads in stores and saying, hey, I see 11 people here, so you're getting a ticket or you're going to be arrested. They can't do that, can they? Um, you know, it, it varies. Law enforcement um, in different jurisdictions, some have been more strict than others where, you know, the fire marshals have gotten involved to enforce um, occupancy regulations. But, I mean, you're right. It is very difficult for the state to enforce it. I think um, retailers, though, they want to comply to make sure that they are providing a safe shopping experience for their customers. I mean, that's what uh, Michigan residents are looking for right now. They want to make sure that when they go to a, a retail shop, they feel safe and and that a, a healthy experience is provided. And that includes, you know, various measures, providing face coverings or masks, hand sanitizer, maintaining proper social distancing. So it's really an opportunity 
I believe, for our retailers to step up and show their great customer service. Well, when you get all your establishments back open again, do you think there's going to be a pent-up surge of interest in shopping and attending these establishments as you did in the first couple of months of this year and the first two weeks in March, as you said? Or do you think, on the other hand, there are going to be too many frightened customers, consumers who won't want to get out, won't want to go anywhere, uh, and the shop owners are going to be constricted by these uh, capacity requirements of uh, no more than 10 customers at a time. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I do think there is a a pent-up demand uh, the retailers that I've talked with um, that have been able to open their doors have, have remarked that the foot traffic isn't quite there yet, but the customers that are coming, um, it's a higher average ticket. They're spending more. They've been waiting to get out there and shop. Um, I was at a local hardware store over the weekend, and it did feel like there was a little bit of an energy coming back. You know, it's beautiful weather this Memorial Day weekend, um, and and I think I do think customers are ready, and um, and retail is certainly ready to have them back. The customers that I did see also were following all the guidelines recommended by the governor and the CDC. They were wearing face coverings. They were maintaining proper social distance. I mean, certainly we hear stories of of bad experiences, but I think for the most part, people are ready to get back out into the world. Supposedly, these orders of the governor uh, compel the uh, attendees in these stores. I mean, in other words, the uh, employees to wear face coverings. But isn't it pretty much up to an individual store whether customers coming in have to wear face masks or don't? How is that handled? It's a great question. And you're absolutely right. Where it's the responsibility of the individual customer to wear the face covering. And what the order says is it says you have to wear it when you enter an enclosed public space as long as you're medically able to tolerate it. It doesn't say that the the retail shop has to enforce it. And quite frankly, we've been advising um, our members and their employees not to get in the middle of um, customer disputes. It can be dangerous. Tensions are already high. And a lot of retail employees are not trained in de-escalation tactics. So, you know, it's it's been our recommendation. Look, if there are folks that aren't following the rules, call law enforcement, have them enforce it. Um, don't put your employees at risk, your business in a, in a position of liability. It's on the customer. Um, certainly post signs make face coverings available um, and remind customers that it is required. But, um, you know, you don't want to get into the middle of a, a potentially volatile situation. Bill Hallam, do your retail business uh members feel relatively confident going forward? I think you came out with some kind of a survey. Uh, Do they feel things are really looking up? Are they optimistic or are they feeling that there's a cloud over their head? So we do a a monthly retail index survey, like you mentioned, and the results just came out yesterday. And and basically what it showed um, was that April and March were brutal. But retailers are notoriously optimistic, and a lot of them are projecting that sales will rebound in the next three months. I mean, that's kind of what we do. We look at how are your recent sales, and then what do you project going forward? So they are optimistic. I think, um, you know, a lot of people have received stimulus money, and they're ready to spend that. And we certainly encourage Michigan residents to think twice before spending it online. Go visit your local store. 
um, you know, buy nearby at a location um, where you've been a loyal customer for many years. Yeah, we're running out of time. One more question. Um, does your membership overlap with other organizations like, let's say, the Licensed Beverage Association, bars and restaurants? We do. We do have a, a very diverse uh, profile because we offer a number of different services um, as to why a business might join us. They might join us for our workers' compensation or they might join us for um, our credit card processing. So it is a very wide variety of businesses that are members of ours. And so we take advantage of our opportunity to, to let the, be the voice for all of those retailers and businesses alike. I want to thank you, Bill Hallam, President and CEO of the Michigan Retailers Association, for giving a great overview of the situation for Michigan businesses, which have been hammered by the coronavirus and the lockdown orders of Governor Whitmer. Thank you, Bill Hallam. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. We'll be back in a minute. One more guest. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are lucky to have somebody who knows more about the legislature and how it works than anybody you can think of. Ken Sikama was a former state representative. He was a former Senate Majority Leader, and he has been very active in the private sector ever since, interacting with Michigan politics and government. Ken Sikama, thanks for being our guest. Hey, happy to do it, Bill. And let me mention that Ken is now a senior policy advisor, has been for some time at Public Sector Consultants, which is a consulting firm in Lansing, and he is part of what is called the Michigan Consensus Policy Project with three other former legislative leaders, and they have been offering policy recommendations to the governor and legislature for some time. And believe me, those people need all the help they can get. So, Ken Sikkim, I want to ask you, how do you look at the situation right now uh, with the state's shattered finances because of the coronavirus epidemic and the response to it by Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Well, I think you you picked the right word, Bill. The state budget, state finances have been shattered. Um, And we're in a period of time or in a situation with with the state economy and all the implications that we've just never lived through before with the you know, businesses shut down, people at home, um, and from a state government standpoint, just huge negative impacts on a state budget that have to get resolved pretty quickly because, unlike the federal government, states have to balance their books at the end of every fiscal year, and we're almost at the end of our fiscal year. So this is uh, just an unprecedented time, and there's no playbook that people can refer to. They're they're on their own. It looks to me like uh, the legislature and Governor Whitmer are kind of looking at each other saying, well, you go first in terms of offering up a schedule of what we have to do. And there obviously is a lot of hope and expectation of federal assistance. How long can the governor and legislature wait for help from Washington? Well, we're. I think we're still in a period of political posturing, but there's just not a lot of time left. Uh, now, 
and I've said this before, Bill, I don't think you could really, realistically, solve this budget problem without federal assistance. Uh, because the current fiscal year, you know, we're almost at the end of it, and revenue has just plummeted. The kind of cuts that would be necessary are beyond draconian. So I do think federal assistance is uh, required, but we're still kind of at a, I think, a little bit of political posturing phase. But, hey, that's got to that's gonna have to end pretty quickly here. I mean, we're, we're almost at June 1. Right. Well, uh, what about the rainy day fund? It's, uh, I think, about $1.2 billion right now, but that can't be wiped out all at once to solve this problem, can it? I mean, legally, can only a certain amount be taken out every year? Well, the current law says you can only take out 25% but per year, but, you know, they could change that in a, in a New York minute. But even then, they shouldn't really um, try to use it all at once. I mean, we've got a $6 billion problem over two years. There's only about $1.2 billion in the rainy day fund. I mean, it, it's not going to solve the problem. Now, I think a prudent thing to do would be to use it, you know, some of it every year for the next two to three years, not all at once. I mean, that's you can't just rely on the rainy day fund to solve this problem. The problem dwarfs the, the you know, just dwarfs the rainy day fund. Well, the first 15 months of Governor Whitmer's term uh, was taken up with battle cries of fix the damn roads. And how do we get the money to do that? As you know, that really hasn't been done. But then the governor decided, okay, I'm going to sell something like $2.5 billion, maybe I got the figure wrong, in bonds on my own without the help of the legislature early this year. Let me just ask you, why can't that bonding money be used to help solve this particular crisis? I mean, wouldn't it make sense for the governor and the legislature to say, hey, look, coronavirus has thrown everything into a cocked hat. Uh, all bets are off on fix the damn roads. We've got to throw everything we can at solving this budget crisis we've got. And let's uh, take those bonds and use those bonds for something else. Well, you're certainly right. We've gone from fix the damn roads to fix the damn budget. Um, the Constitution, the state Constitution, is it really limits uh, the legislature and the governor's ability to bond. I mean, you could do it for transportation, which you're talking about. You can do it for very short-term cash flow needs uh, within a few months. And then there's something called a general obligation bond, which requires voter, voter approval. Now, what you're talking about, though, can't be done. The Constitution says the gas tax, which is what they're using to pay back the bonds for roads, can only be used for roads. You know, you can't just say, hey, wait a minute, we got a bigger problem. Let's take the gas tax and let's bond uh, for the budget. Can't be done. Now, then you get into these, what I call these sort of general obligation bonds. But, you know, the, the obstacle there, Bill, is you got to go to the voters to get approval. Now, I think, frankly, that even with these constitutional restrictions, you know, clever bond attorneys can figure out other ways to borrow money. The federal government, I think, has uh, created some more bonding tools recently. And at the end of the day, that might be what I would call the second-to-last option bonding, the last option being raising taxes. 
Yeah. Well, what about raising taxes? Is that likely? No. Um, and, and I don't think it should be kind of in the near term bill because, I mean, let's just take a look at the situation. You know, government action has shut down the economy. It, it's the government that said, hey, you can't go to work. So businesses are closed. People are out of work. And, you know, to say, oh, by the way, uh, we're going to raise your taxes at the same time, I think kind of adds insult to injury. Now, you never take any tool off the table, but I don't think in the near term that that, that's a good strategy. I I really think you're going to need some federal help. Well, one other option that nobody likes to talk about is budget cuts. And the question is, uh, what percentage, let's say, overall – when you consider all these things that might be available, like federal assistance, rainy day fund, maybe a little bit of bonding, uh, what percentage of the overall deficit filling mechanism ought to be budget cuts? I mean, actual programs cut. Well, there's going to have to be budget cuts. I mean, as you, I think, correctly point out, is this is going to be a smorgasbord of solutions. Uh federal help, budget cuts, a little bit of bonding. On the, on the issue of budget cuts, though, it really depends whether you're talking the current year or next fiscal year. Next fiscal year, it's a little easier to put in place a little larger budget cuts. Now, I don't, I don't think anybody can give you a percentage. Uh, my view on the budget cuts is, um, you know, you shouldn't just do a kind of a cross-the-board or pro-rata. You know, you really try to should try to prioritize services. But on the larger solution, and I'm not going to throw any names under the bus here, Bill, but I was recently reminded by someone that a former budget director said, when you're facing the kind of situation we're facing now, the solution is one-third revenue, one-third cuts, and one-third smoke and mirrors. Um, (laughs) And, um, you know, that's you know, the revenue is going to have to come from the government. There's going to, or from the feds, I think. There's going to have to be budget cuts. And then there's a third of smoke and mirrors that would include some borrowing, maybe extending the fiscal year, which has been done in the past. But um, that, that kind of framework, one-third revenue, one-third cuts, one-third smoke and mirrors is probably the formula. One irony this year is that the legislature and governor just got through agreeing that by law, by statute, they passed this late last year. You got to have a budget in place, uh, at least from the legislature going to the governor by July first, uh, and then the coronavirus hits. I mean, if there was ever a time to experiment with <laughs> making absolutely sure that it go to her on July first, this was not the right time, right? So, are that is yeah. that going to have to be changed? No question about it. They're going to have to change that you're not they're not going to be able to in 30 days put together a budget that starts october 1 of this year and runs till september 30 of next year there are just too many unknowns right listen ken sikama you've given a great overview of the terrible conundrum that the legislature and governor gretchen whitmer find themselves in right now with the shattered state budget But, uh, Ken Sikama, I think if you were in the legislature, things would maybe move a lot more smoothly than they have been in the last 15 months. I don't know about that, Bill, but I'm just (laughs) glad I'm not there. (laughs) I can believe it. Thank you, Ken Sikama, former Senate Majority Leader, for being our guest. Thank you, Bill.
We'll be back with Bill Moore. 